0: Um, our guest teacher tonight is Anushka fernanda and she is a lifelong spiritual practitioner who has been practicing for over 20 years in the Theravada tradition in the U.S., in India, and in Sri Lanka. She is on the Spirit Rock Teachers Council, the SF Insight teaching team, and she teaches at the East Bay Meditation Center. She's also the lead teacher of the San Francisco LGBTQ Sangha, and she lives in the mission. And so welcome to Anushka. Thank you, and thank you for memorizing my bio, Tara. I don't think anyone has done that except for my mom, so. So uh, I thought that um, I was reflecting on what to talk about this week, and, you know, this week is bookended by two uh, major holidays, so on one side we have uh, Easter and all the different things around that, and then the other side we have April Fool's Day, which uh, started out this week. So, I'm wondering if uh, anybody here uh, had any uh, successful uh, April Fool's jokes that were either played on them or that you played yourself. Oh, here's one, okay. So a friend who was traveling around Southeast Asia tricked him and his friends into thinking that he got someone pregnant there somewhere while traveling, okay. And what was your reaction to this? You okay, so he, so he said he was going to go back and then all the friends tried to be very supportive of this decision and like that. Okay, all right. What else, anyone else? Get tricked or trick? Yeah. Can we say it again. Okay, so you tr- she, she tricked over 100 people into um, thinking she got engaged to someone she just met. Was this using um, the internet, perhaps? Yes, yeah. yeah, using Facebook. Okay. <laughs> and so, what was the reaction you got? Uh huh. <clears throat> Uh-huh. Ah, okay. Right. <laughs> so then you felt bad, and then you right. Okay. Anyone else? So one of my friends told me a more uh, physical, practical joke she played on her husband, which was that um, she put a rubber band around the sink sprayer, you know, s- such that um, when he then opened the faucet on the sink, it just sprayed water directly at his... Uh, which had some element of surprise, you know, but it wasn't like fatal because it was just water. So, um, yeah. So, you think about these things like, well, what is it about these tricks that is, uh, if anyway, could be related to the spiritual path, if anything, right? Like, what, is, what could be, could be uh, the connection between these things? So, April Fool's Day and uh, playing the fool or tricking people. And then our spiritual path... And then actually on the other side, I was thinking about, you know, actually Easter, resurrection, death, resurrection, right? And I think there is actually some through line uh, between them, which I'll try to explain to you, too. So there is actually this long tradition of um, crazy wisdom, the trickster, the fool, the wise fool, in many different spiritual traditions, And it kind of surprises people because once you, um, you know, once religions or spiritual traditions become institutionalized in some ways, then they have these grand vistas such as this one, right? With big altars and architecture. And it just doesn't look like there's a lot of um, overt sense of humor going on. And, you know, right, giant cathedrals and monasteries. It's something inspirational, but, you know, it's like, well, where is that, right? And even when you read things from, you know, the Buddha or, you know, uh, Muhammad or Jesus, or something uh, they don 't sound very funny right like uh, and so but so it could be like, okay, maybe whoever captured their words was screening out anything funny, or did they not have a sense of humor or you know what was going on with that uh, actually in the Buddhist teachings. Um, you do find these ways in which uh, particularly if you if you learn a little bit of Pali, you can see that the Buddha actually had a sense of humor. He was a little bit of a punster, he was kind of a, a quick-witted uh, guy, so he 'd like to make puns about different things, um, so you can see that kind of cropping up uh, here and there and then also even in some of the suttas, there actually are some that are accounts of his interactions with different groups of people in which uh, it seems like he had some sense of humor. Uh, that kind of somehow snuck through, but I also have some feeling myself that the people who wrote this down and who are kind of creating the uh, body of the text uh, sort of edited out what they felt like should be in there or should not be in there. Right? So, example in the the Buddhist uh, scriptures is that there's a, a just some little puns that he does, like the, when he'd give his first teaching in Sarnath to the five his five uh, spiritual companions. Um, one of them actually uh, first saw, the first person who heard the teachings and then uh, basically became enlightened, became stream-enterer. And the Buddha said, like, oh, Anya kondanya." It's like, oh, this, this guy, Anya gets it. But he used these rhyming words for it uh, in the way that he said it. Which, it doesn't even sound very funny when I tell it like this, but <laughs> it was a little bit clever. And then there are other uh, times when he does this similar thing. Like he, he likes wordplay a lot. In fact, there's actually a, a, a common um, story that's told in many Dharma circles about uh, an account of Ananda, his um, longtime attendant and cousin, coming to him at one point and saying, oh, you know, I think that if, after Ananda had spent some time with different spiritual companions, and he said, Ananda said, oh, you know, I think that it's, it's really great having spiritual friends. It seems like it's like half of the holy life, isn't it? And the Buddha says, say not so, Ananda. It's actually all of the holy life. Right? So, you know, what does this mean? So then actually in the translation of that, he's actually doing a word play with friendship with the holy, friendship with the sacred, friendship with the divine, sort of intimacy with uh, the ultimate, you know. So it could be translated as just French, you know, having friends, or it could be actually this like uh, connection to uh, liberation, you know many different, different ways of, of hearing that. But there are accounts of people since then who are kind of these, uh, these characters who are realized beings, um, but who have kind of quirky ways of uh, expressing themselves. And the Zen tradition is very famous for this, right? There are a lot of different Zen monks, priests, wanderers, uh, who are kind of eccentric and uh, who actually are very realized, but they don't take up uh, residence in the kind of hierarchy. So they resist becoming like a temple priest or like an abbot or something like that. And they prefer um, wandering around, uh, poetry, nature, playing with children, uh, stuff like that. Uh, so among them, among my favorites of these are um, Ryokan, who's a great poet also. So here's one of his, uh, his poems. So he said, Abandon this fleeting world. Abandon yourself. Then the moon and the flowers will guide you along your way. So he apparently was uh, very compassionate and uh, he hated wasting food, so he would save all the uh, food scraps and put them together. And then, uh, they, I guess they didn't have refrigeration, right? This is like some long time ago. So then maggots would come in them and people would say, don't eat that, there's maggots there. And he said, so don't worry, I take the maggots aside after they've eaten enough and then I eat the food. So, so you yeah. know. And uh, then, uh, was, there's, uh, many of them, many of them great, great Zen stories. Hotoy, who wandered the streets playing with children, and he preferred to, uh, hang around with kids rather than, um, having to go chant sutras and things like that in the temple. So he'd carry a bag full of gifts for kids and give them out. And he's, he's actually the one that the laughing Buddha statues are supposed to be made of. Like, he was, like, big belly, kind of laughing, um, and the there's many different traditions so even in the in Muslim tradition there's this stories about uh, Mullah Nasruddin right? who's like the, the fool and this guy's not necessarily an enlightened fool but he kind of highlights for us these different ways in which our own behavior is actually kind of ridiculous so one of these stories is that uh, Mullah um, is seen looking for something on the ground and someone sees him and says oh what are you doing and he says I'm looking for my keys, I lost my keys so this person says, oh, okay, let me help you. So they look, look around, look around for a long time. And then they say, well, where did you lose them? And Will says, oh, I lost them down the road over there. Right. So the guy says, well, why are we looking over here? And he said, well, the light's a lot better over here. So, you know, so, you know there's metaphor you can take for <laughs> your own life, where you look for things where it's easiest, but not necessarily where they could be found, right? Uh, and even in the Christian tradition, actually, a great... Um, saints like St. Saint Francis right? the one who our city is named after uh, he actually was a son of a very rich uh, person right? uh, and he gave that all up I think a rich cloth merchant and he didn't want to have anything to do with it so he went off to become a mystic to you know, to, to pray and to uh, engage in this life of um, piety and his father didn't want it so his father came and like tried to get him to stop and then he took off all his clothes and he's like here you want your cloth back take it all take it all right and uh, uh, and then eventually he did lead this life of, uh, extreme poverty, uh, and he's also famous for being very kind to the animals, right, like a lot of connection to animals and, um, spending time in nature, and, uh, so then, you know, after a while, these guys become sort of, like, uh, deified in certain ways, and cities are named after them, and things like that, but they were kind of crazy, too, you know, it's great, it's nice to remember that, it's nice to keep that in mind, right? And it's nice to keep that in mind also, because it's good to remember this for yourself. Because there's a way in which, uh, particularly I think as you grow up and become an adult, like we can develop these ideas about who we are uh, and this sense of our identity that we spend a lot of time actually like protecting and managing uh, and developing. And it just kind of creeps up on you, you know, like it's not like that when you're a little kid, like it just sort of creeps up on you little by little. And it's good to examine, like, who do I think I am? Like, who do I think I am and how much energy do I put into defending that and managing that, right? And not looking foolish, basically. So some places to look into that, one is like when, basically when you get tricked or when you fail, right? So when something happens that actually pulls the rug out from under your carefully managed self-conception, right? And this could be anything. It could be like a simple mistake, like... uh, you're trying to uh, go one way and then you habitually go the other way, right? So uh, let's say you're going on a trip and you usually leave from SFO, so you go to BART and you get on the train to SFO and once you're almost there, you realize, oh, I should have been in Oakland, right? Anyone done that? Yeah? Uh, (laughs) My plane is leaving very shortly from a different city, right? Um, Or uh, just completely forgetting to do something, right? This happens sometimes. Or thinking that you did something and you didn't. Forgetting the name of someone who you really should know, right? Uh, Even basic physical mistakes that we make, like tripping, you know, or dropping things, or something like that. So it seems at the time like, oh no, it's a mistake, it's a problem. But we can use all of these as uh, opportunities to see the way in which we've developed this sense of ourselves, or that we're sort of cultivating this idea of ourselves as infallible, uh, or needing to be perfect, or or needing to be smart, right, or needing to be competent. uh, Or kind of overarching all of this is needing to be in control, right? So it's this illusion, like, here I am, I am the master of my world, I am a competent, together, adult, right? There's me and there's everything I need to navigate, right? And these moments, it it all falls apart in small or big ways, right? So they're actually good points to uh, kind of try and allow yourself to soften, they're good teachings of humility. Uh, and see, like, where is it that I've been stuck? Like, like, like what is it that's, that's uh, tripping me up in this? You can tell also for how long you suffer after it happens, whatever it is, right? So whether it's that you said something stupid in a meeting or, uh, you know, some physical thing, like you dropped something and it broke, right? Like, notice how long the suffering from that lasts in your mind, right? Because a thing happens and then it's finished, Right? but then what's the residue in, in the mind? That's the sort of second arrow of suffering that I talked about, right? The way we, it, it impacts our, our idea of ourself. And it can be very interesting at those points to look into that idea of ourself that we have and see like, well, what is the idea of self that I'm clinging to here? Like, like what, is the, uh, what is the thing that's been threatened or uh, there's been like a hole shot into some element of my sense of self? Like me as coordinated, or me as being a kind person, even, right? If you say something uh, mean, or me as being thoughtful, right? So you could probably reflect back and and consider times that this has happened uh, to you, even in this week, right? And actually make these things uh, opportunities for learning. This is a good thing about the spiritual path is like, okay, all these things could happen. It could just be like tragedies and mistakes and embarrassing moments or here you can kind of compost it all and make it all, you know, opportunity for seeing. Like, oh, where am I stuck? You know, where am I clinging? Right? Like, what is it that's being uh, threatened in this very moment? And sometimes it's something that you don't think it is. That can be very interesting. Sometimes you think it's one thing and it's actually another. So I started um, playing um, basketball uh, after not playing for a long time. I uh, had been a very good athlete when I was in high school and my 20s and then um, had a slow decline, as many people do. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I actually tried to get back into sports, and I, I uh, hurt my knee very badly playing soccer. Uh, so then this was like my second attempt to come back again after knee surgery and rehab and all this stuff. And I was very kind of cautious. Um, but I started playing again, and uh, suddenly I was playing against people who were like 15, 20 years uh, younger than me, and a uh, lot better shape, and a lot faster, and uh, you know, it was actually very humbling to see this. So um, I started to set small goals when I was playing basketball, you know? and I noticed also I had a lot of fear because of my injury, and you know, I was going back after an injury. So um, the first game, I was like, okay, I'm going to just shoot the ball twice. But it wasn't even focused on actually making a basket, right? In basketball, you do actually want to make baskets, but, okay, we'll start small. Let's just shoot the ball, right? Uh, because I noticed that there was this fear, like, oh, I'm not going to make it in, right? But you never make the, the basket if you don't shoot, right? So it's like, okay, I'm going to start small. I'm going to just make myself have the courage to shoot. So I actually did that the first game. I shot twice. Both shots were terribly off. I think one was way short. One was way far, right? But my goal was not to make the basket yet. It was just to shoot, right? Uh, and then little by little like like set new goals like that and then um, by the end of the season uh, I made my uh, personal high score for the season which was four points Yeah, uh, this is a very low score in basketball in case you don't know uh, but it was good to see th- these different ways in which I was clinging to some idea of myself as being an athlete or being good at this or being afraid to make a mistake you know, or being afraid to let down the team in different ways and then you know, challenging that in different ways. And I hope that my team is actually all, um, this is all a queer Asian women's team. So we're all um, five foot five and under. And uh, we were playing in the um, Oakland YMCA League in which there were a lot of people who were taller than five foot five. So, uh, and who had played together for a long time. And, you know, the other teams all had uniforms that matched. And we had kind of like hodgepodge uniforms we'd gotten from Goodwill and... um, So it's very like bad news bears, but um, uh, we actually also had a good time because we weren't actually afraid of making a fool of ourselves, you know, like we weren't uh, thinking that we were like the national champions that needed to defend our title, you know, we were like ragtag bunch of people who wanted to have a good time and playing together, right. But I noticed the ways in which sometimes this image of self as being this or that would creep in and that would actually really dampen the fun, you know. Uh, and on the team, too, at different times, someone would start to take themselves too seriously in some ways, right? You have to be like, okay, this is what it's about. Right? Now, as I say this, I also balance this by saying that for some people, their tendency, their habit is actually not to take themselves seriously, right? So if you're someone who is, has that as your habit pattern, then it's good to balance with the opposite, right? So if you're someone who always plays the fool, uh, who never actually uh, puts yourself forward sincerely, like, oh, this is what I care about, this is what I believe in, then that's a good place for you to uh, practice. But for many people, there is this thing to look at about, um, what am I afraid of losing about uh, being foolish or something like that. So how does this relate then to uh, death and resurrection? So part of it is that you know in this whole this whole uh, this piece about Easter is actually very central to the Christian tradition, so even though Christmas is a much bigger deal right like theologically, Easter is actually the linchpin of the whole thing right this whole uh, death resurrection uh, of Jesus right and we have actually here you know, this artistic uh, stations of the cross kind of thing going on in the back here some of you might recognize that um, so there's this kind of like a mythological or like a um, Uh, repetition of this story in a way that if you're a Christian it makes sense and it's powerful and has meaning. So for me I was actually raised Christian so there is some meaning behind the the story to me Uh, but not in the same way that it actually was taught to me. Uh, I think I've become sort of a fused you know Buddhist Christian something right. So part of it is in this this idea of death it's like actually you have to die to your old self you know. And it, this happens in all of these small moments too. Like even in this moment of thinking like, Oh, I'm smart and then you get on the wrong bark train, it's like, oh let that die, you know. <laughs> you have to die to that idea of that. You have to die to holding on to that image of that, right? And then allowing whatever's new to be born, right? In each moment. Right. So noticing all the ways in which we're clinging to something. We're clinging to something, we're trying to hold on to it, we're trying to create this as our life, right? And the truth is that everything's always moving, right? The truth is that nothing is solid. The truth is that one moment you could be labeled as stupid and one moment you could be labeled as smart, right? And if you take any of it too seriously, either of those two labels, then you're going to suffer, right? It's just like, it's just this, it's just this, it's just this, it's just this, right? So in each moment you have to be able to, uh, to notice, like, okay, what, this is what's here and then let it go. This is what's here and let it go. Is what's here and let it go. And there are more and more subtle levels of uh, identification that we have going on, right? Uh, Of this clinging, uh, of this clinging to some idea about who we are and what our life is and how things should be. And fortunately, circumstance is always uh, conspiring to undermine us in this. (laughs) So uh, occasionally things will go your way according to your script, right? If that happens, you can enjoy it, knowing it's probably not going to last right forever. And then when things start to fall apart, uh, look at that with interest. right? Like this is the opportunity for death and resurrection right there. So for example, when you're sitting here in the meditation, you probably might have noticed um, there's different times these conversations come up in your head. Right? So you're replaying something that happened, maybe today or last week. Or maybe you're imagining something some conversation you're going to have with someone, like maybe a difficult conversation with your uh, partner, co-worker, family member, uh, person sitting next to you right now, anything, right? And we actually get really invested in these imaginary conversations in actually a really funny way. So this is also a good way that the fool thing helps is to just have a sense of humor about your own mind, right, and the crazy things it does, right? So it always helps to notice after the fact, like how do things actually play out uh, in actuality compared to my script in my mind, right? And was it actually worth investing all this time and developing this very uh, detailed script, right? Because very rarely does the other person receive the same script. You notice, right? Uh, you might have developed a very, you know, good script with the setting and everything and tone and nuance, right? But somehow they seem to have received their own script, you know. Uh, which they then deliver and then they're frustrated that you didn't follow their script right? so this is how actually a lot of relationships play out of all kinds is like we're frustrated that we didn't get each other's scripts right? so you have to then allow the, the freedom is like allowing yourself to die die to that character you know? and that seems a little bit dramatic to say you know, the, this death and resurrection thing uh, but it's not in that it just ha- has to happen in each moment it's just like let that go come back let that go What's here? What's here now? What's here now? What's here now? Right. And this happens in every moment, really. Like the possibility is there in every moment, and that's actually the wisest way to meet every moment. And when you can, then there's actually this great freedom and spaciousness that can be there. It actually allows for so much possibility, uh, like so many amazing things, you know—chocolate bunnies and colored eggs, and you know, <laughs> all kinds of things you couldn't imagine, right? So how do you how do you orient yourself towards this? So in the um, you know, Mahayana tradition, there are these bodhisattva vows that are taken uh, that some of you may be familiar with. And uh, I like them because they're kind of paradoxical. Yeah. So it's like, um, beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. So what does that mean? That already short-circuits your mind. But if they're numberless, how can I save them all? They're infinite, right? Uh, Dharma doors are boundless. I vow to open them all. Like, but if they're boundless, you'll never get to the end of that. How's that going to work, right? Desires are inexhaustible. I vow to end them all. So anyway, it kind of goes on like this, right? So there's something great, I think, about this sort of like uh, infinity, you know, aiming for infinity, and then it kind of throws you back on like, oh, there's nothing but now, you know? There's actually, there's nothing, you know, it's like the, the end goal, it short circuits your regular analytical kind of performance management mind, you know, so it's not a smart goal, right? (laughs) It's not a smart goal if beings are numberless to save them all. You're not going to meet that. You're not going to get your bonus, you know, it's like, uh, but it really, it, it drops you back into the moment, you know, there's nothing to lean out towards because it's infinite. Or if you do lean out towards, you just fall back into now. <laughs> right. So somehow that, there's like a playing with time and space that can happen in that that just kind of drops you back at, okay, just this, just this, just this. Yeah. So these moments of being played the fool, or when you get foolish, like if you turn on the sink and water suddenly sprays at you, right? It's like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. It's like, great, that's, you know, cracked and I found a crack in like, my sense of I understand how everything works in the kitchen, right? (laughs) I am the master of the kitchen faucet. It obeys me, right? No, not so, not always, right? It's like, oh, good, okay. So allow yourself to actually sort of be delighted by that. Um, Be humbled by that and actually have fun with it. You know, like actually take joy uh, in kind of a childlike way. And children are actually really good role models for this, especially small children, because they usually don't think that they have the whole world figured out and they're actually very curious about it, which is why they get in trouble going, like, pushing all the buttons to see what they do and, you know, pulling all the switches and annoying people in elevators by pushing all the buttons and, you know. Uh, but it's that quality of, like, curiosity and interest and actually joy in exploring the world and exploring how things are that is uh, is beautiful, too. So we can also allow ourselves to be infected by some of that. So maybe I'll I'll stop with the reflections there. So, uh, bringing more foolishness into your life and uh, practicing resurrection. So those are the the themes there. I'll see if anyone has any questions or comments. Yeah. Uh, There's a question about, is it Buddha's birthday this weekend? Is that what you're saying? Oh, that is Buddha, the birthday this weekend. Let's see, what is this, April? I think in, uh, you know, actually my family is Sri Lankan, so in Sri Lankan um, Buddhism it's considered like May. The full moon in May is like the, uh, coincidentally, his um, birthday and his um, uh, day of enlightenment and like all kinds of things tied into one. But I think maybe some other schools of Buddhism have it a different month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, noticing the, uh, the ways in which the self gets created. And it's harder to notice pride than huge amounts of self-criticism, basically, right? Yeah, the little puffing up. Yeah, pride is a much more subtle one, usually. Uh, and, and one interesting place to try to notice, too, is that um, the cycle of, this, of, of criticism, of comparing mind, is a double-edged sword. So we also don't notice it as much when we're comparing, uh, when we're putting down other people, right? So, usually, whatever it is that we are criticizing about ourselves, also we criticize about other people in some ways. Uh, see if this is true. Like, explore this in your experience. So, for example, um, supposing that there's some criticism you have about other people being, like, uh, for example, lazy or something. Like, oh, this person's lazy, they're not working hard enough, or uh, this person's not smart, or whatever it is, right? And when, while we're doing that, we actually have this full belief in the truthfulness of our assessment. Like, this is the actual truth coming through my mind in full technicolor blazing glory. It's so clear. It's so clear. And then sometimes something will happen and we will make a mistake and then it comes back at us, right? So, this same comparing mind, this critical mind, like, like when we make the mistake, get on the wrong bar train or do something, right? Then suddenly it's like, oh, you're so stupid. Ouch, where did that come from? I've never seen that before. It's like, oh, yes, you have, right? <laughs> Only directed towards the other, not towards the self. But they're the same, right? So, like, actually uh, taking yourself with a grain of salt in those moments also of the criticism of other people uh, is helpful with the noticing self-criticism, too. But it's kind of harder for us to notice that. Usually we'll, like, let those slide and actually believe in that more. Uh, the self-criticism becomes more painful, Either way, we're creating like a distinction, right? Like, here's me, here's the other, right? And even in that, there's suffering. The pride one is more subtle, though, right? Correct. Yeah we should we should pay attention yeah to similar so similar to pride right so exalting other people but there's like a um important and subtle distinction i think between um sort of appreciating positive qualities right or admiring something because it's you can see like oh that person's really courageous i admire that i appreciate that without it having to be like they're so courageous and i'm not right like like it's when you get into the dualism kind of thing or like the distinction that it becomes more a problem. But we can actually appreciate even positive qualities in ourself without it becoming like arrogance or pride, right? It's like we're just seeing like, oh, this generosity. That's, it's actually a wholesome quality. So the way to do that is actually to notice that as a quality, to appreciate that, but also not to identify with it. You know, these different qualities are just uh, arising and they can arise in ourselves. they can arise in others too. Right. So something like that. I think actually it's very important to um, try to notice uh, inspiring qualities in others and in ourselves too and appreciate them. Right. One, of the, um, one of the Buddhist traditions likes to call it like rejoicing in uh, rejoicing in virtue, something like that, rejoicing. They like this word rejoicing in things. You know? So it's like taking joy and appreciating this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah The a question about the trickster and intuition, right? So where does intuition fit in into this uh, this practice? I, I think it fits in very well because in uh, even like when you think about who is the fool or the trickster or the clown or any of these people, um, they're actually they're doing something that's out of what they're supposed to be doing. It's like out of step from what is the Um, idea of what they're supposed to do right or they're actually calling attention to some truth like the trickster often does this is calling attention to some truth that others may not have the courage to see or talk about or it's considered impolite to say this or something and they're actually like shining a big light on that right so in some ways it's like being able to to tune more into that intuition of the truth and then the wisdom part is also knowing when to say that or when to how to work with that how to bring that out right uh, in some ways, so so working with the the intuition and knowing the difference I think between intuition and between this other kind of like delusion stuff that comes through. Ah, yes, how can you tell the difference between intuition and delusion? Yes, that is a very good question, okay, two minutes good. <laughs> It's like the whole path right there, you know? It really is. It's a a very good question. It's like the whole path right there. Because uh, we get fooled all the time by delusion, thinking it's true. Like even when I was describing, you know, our belief in our judgments, uh, oftentimes we think it's wisdom. Like we think it's the truth coming through. But then it's like, oh, it's not. So then each time that you notice that, it's good to like get more of a feel of like, oh, what was that like? Like what was that like when... What does it feel like when there's delusion and what does it feel like when it's wisdom? And, you know, I think it's, it, here's the intuition comes in again, is that uh, it's helpful to get the feel of that in every which way, you know, like um, like physical body, emotionally, and, you know, mind, right? Uh, and to notice like, well, what are the qualities of when intuition comes and what are the qualities of when it's delusion? So delusion is often from a sense of separateness, things like that, right? Um, but we usually don't notice that in the moment of that arising, but the more that we get a sense of like what's it like to be kind of in um, in the state of, of non-duality right um, versus what does it feel like to be in this idea of separation, then if you can know that more and more, you can just rest in that and then it actually can be much more fun because then you can just trust whatever comes through from this place of. Intuition. Right? And then you can know, like, whatever it is the words are that are coming out, you don't need to analyze them with this, 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 but it's like, okay, this is coming from this place of fear, the, the planet of fear now, you know, is speaking, something like that. So, yeah, that's the koan for your ongoing practice. Yeah. So, uh, almost at time now. Um, so, I encourage you for this week to. Uh, look for the times that you become the fool. If you want an extra credit challenge, you could even look for opportunities. <laughs> opportunities to take a risk, actually. Uh, look for the places where you're, um, you can tell you're nervous about putting something forward. And, uh, you know, you might choose to take a risk, uh, you have to consider also whether it's a wise risk, and so on. Of course, but you know, uh, pay attention to that. But uh, yeah, it's good, good, good place to to examine. <clears throat> so maybe we can sit together for a little bit. So connecting with Presence, with our bodies, our hearts, our minds, appreciating our own wholesome qualities for coming to Dharma Group, sharing the blessings of our practice with everyone here and with all numberless beings everywhere. May the merit from our practice lead to the liberation of all. Thank you for listening.